This morning, um, we are looking at 1 Corinthians 15. And I know that uh, uh, this is, this is a uh, monumental task. We'll see how far we get. Don't worry, I'm not going to go for the whole three hours and make you sit here for that amount of time. But um, I'm supposed to say amen. Yeah, yeah amen. <laughs> three hours, yes. Now, um, 1 Corinthians 15, it is the resurrection of the dead. Now, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and the people in Corinth are struggling. They are, again, they're new Christians. They're, you know, there are no old Christians. <laughs> uh, these individuals, you know, they've come to know Christ for, through Paul's ministry and some through being in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. But they are surrounded by a pagan society full of uh, worship of idols and, um, you know, the pressures of the Roman society and uh, all the things that go with the uh, worship of goddesses and temples and, and all, uh, all the pressures in that, in that segment or that area of their life. And so Paul addresses many of the questions that they have sent to him. And one, of course, is the idea of the resurrection. Now, in writing about the resurrection, it stresses the importance of the doctrine of the resurrection. You know, if Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, if the tomb is not empty, there is no, there is no need for us to have faith, and there's no need for us to read the scriptures, there's no need for us to go to church. Now, don't say amen to that one. But uh, uh, there's, you know, we have to know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, and that is knowing that Christ is risen from the dead. So, this truth cannot be overemphasized, that the foundation of our belief is Jesus has risen from the dead. Now, we celebrate other things. We celebrate his birth, you know, Christmas, and we celebrate um, different times of the season, Easter, of course, the resurrection, and different times we celebrate, the, you know, as it were, church holidays. But the uh, basic understanding is if Christ is not, ri uh, Christ is not risen, then preaching is empty, and so is our faith. So Paul, of course, begins chapter 15 with this very important emphasis, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at verse 3, I'm going to try and skip some of the verses rather than trying to read every verse in chapter 15. But verse 3 says, For what I received, I pass on to you. It's important that we understand Paul is saying, what I received. Who did he receive it from? He received it from Jesus Christ himself. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. The resurrected Jesus Christ, came, Paul came face to face with him on the road to Damascus, and he met Jesus. And then after that, we know that he went away for about three years in the in the desert, in the regions where he could be alone with God and learn what it was and what it is that the, the, what we would call the New Testament and the things of how the Old Testament and the things of the law transition into grace and mercy under the um, risen Jesus Christ. So what I received, I pass on to you. He received this from Jesus Christ. And... Um, he says, know this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. 
So when we are looking at the life of Jesus, we don't have him just showing up and living a life and we, and we write about it or we read about it in the Gospels. His life was foretold over the centuries in the Old Testament by different prophets speaking of bits and pieces of the life of the Messiah. And according to Scripture, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. <laughs> according to Scripture, Jesus was born of a virgin. So we find that these things just didn't happen. They were foretold by the prophets of old. And so according to Scripture, that the, the, the context of the life of Jesus was outlined before he was ever born. Now, we know that Jesus didn't, you know, like us, we didn't come into existence until we were born. Well, Jesus has always been. So he became a child, he became a human, so that he could die. He couldn't die as God. He had to become like us so that he could take on the sin of the world and that he would die upon the cross, but also that he would rise from the dead. See, being risen from the dead validates everything that he taught. And everything that we believe is validated with the understanding that Jesus is risen from the dead. So without this truth, without this message, Christ's death, his resurrection, without that resurrection, all of his teachings are worthless. They mean nothing. They're just good ideas trying to find an implement implementation. But if he is risen from the dead, then these things are true, and because he lives, we shall live also. So, verse 4. Christ, he was dead, he died on the cross, that he was buried. That's an important part. I think, well, of course he's, it's an important part. He, he died, he's buried. Well, the fact that Christ died reveals that he was buried. Now, there were, if you look at the church in Corinth, there's a lot of agnostics, there are a lot of hecklers in the group. There are a lot of people who don't believe in Jesus. Or, and like the Sadducees, they don't believe in a resurrection. They don't believe in an afterlife. So there's this whole group that is circulating around the church, not necessarily in the church, but putting pressure on the church to give up that idea of a, of a resurrection. But being buried, you know, they would say, well, you know, Jesus didn't actually die. They probably took him off of the cross before he was dead, and uh, he somehow recovered, and they want to call it a resurrection. Well, if you look at the, uh, the horrendous beating and the, the spear stuck in his side by the Romans, the Romans weren't going to let him off the cross unless he was dead. <laughs> so, and then he was buried. So he was placed in a tomb. He was buried. Um, so the fact was that he was buried uh, dispels the fact that Jesus was somehow alive when they took him off the cross. See, you know, at the time, at the time there were a lot of opponents to Christianity, and they tried to find any little crack, any place that they could to try and throw, as it were, a wrench in the cogs, trying to find a place where they could derail Christianity. But we find that he was buried in verse 4 again, that he was raised on the third day. <laughs> he was raised permanently and forever. 
He was raised by the Holy Spirit, by the Father, by himself. He himself is God. And so Romans 8.11 says, And if the Spirit of him, it's important, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Our focus and understanding of the resurrection, our resurrection, is that the Spirit of Christ, who is risen from the dead, lives in us. And because he, the Spirit of life, is life living in us, we will live. We will have the resurrection. And we, verse 4, again, this, the third part of it says, that he was raised on the third day according to Scripture. Now, I remember years ago when I, when I was young, <laughs> I would say, okay, well, it says three days Jesus was in the, in the tomb. And I'd say, well, it was Friday afternoon, then Saturday and Sunday morning. That's not three days. <laughs> but in the Jewish sense of counting days, Friday afternoon, Saturday, and early Sunday morning are three days. And so Jesus was in the tomb for three days. And uh, he was there. And he was there, and he, uh, according to Scripture, that he would be laid in a borrowed tomb. <laughs> See, all of the things fit together and put together a context of what Jesus is, is, um, is giving to us through the resurrection, that, and Paul is trying to emphasize this to the church at Corinth, you know, they have people who, the, again, these are relatively new believers, and they don't have a clue as to the importance of this. And so Paul then is putting it together and putting this in front of them that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, verse 5, and that he, he appeared to Cephas. Now, when you think about um, someone, ri you know, Jesus rising from the dead, do you ever think of it in the context of how many people? No, he probably appeared to the disciples. He probably appeared to two or three others. Well, it says that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500. <laughs> so the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not a in the corner, hidden in a, you know, away from society thing. It was very much prevalent and very much a part of the early church. The, the um, belief that Jesus was risen from the dead is the foundation of the church. And these who are believers in Corinth, they have this understanding Jesus is risen from the dead, but they haven't got all of the package, they haven't got it all packaged together in, in their faith. So, more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, and most of whom are still living, Paul tells them. You want verification? These, most of these 500 are still alive. We can go talk to them. Though some have fallen asleep, and, and the word asleep, you know, uh, I always tell people, you, you, don't tell the, you don't tell children that, uh, well, whenever you die, it's like going to sleep. <laughs> it's like, okay. I'm not going to go to bed. I'm not going to sleep. <laughs> I go to sleep, cold, close my eyes. God's love will take me home, you know, and I don't want to leave just yet. <laughs> so 
the idea of sleep is something to be awakened from. So the, those who have died and yet to be awakened from, then he appeared to James and then all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. <laughs> the road to Damascus. So Paul establishes here in these verses, these first few verses, the resurrection of Christ, the most important part of, of this chapter. Now, again, they were questioning, is there a resurrection? Can there be uh, people risen from the dead? You know, how can that be? Well, let's go on to the second part, verses 12 through 19. There is the, our, our hope in the resurrection. So, the resurrection of the dead, there are, <laughs> if we look at these next verses, there are six disastrous consequences if we do not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Okay, Paul's answering the question. People in the church in Corinth are saying, there's no resurrection. And Paul's saying, how can you say that? And he's outlining for them the consequences of that type of a belief. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So they're talking in the sense, there's no such thing as a resurrection. Well, if there is no such thing as a resurrection, Jesus isn't alive. Then verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, Paul says, our preaching is useless. It's in vain. What we are talking about doesn't mean a thing. Verse, and then it goes on. That, and so is your faith. So our preaching is in vain. Our faith in Christ is useless. It doesn't mean or amount anything. Again, these are people who are saying and challenging the fact that there is a resurrection. All the witnesses of Christ's resurrection are liars. <laughs> the 500 and the apostles and, and the others that Jesus appeared to, all of them are liars if Jesus is not risen from the dead. We are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. So you see the ramifications of this throwing out a thought, there is no resurrection. Well, no, there has to be. Then the fourth ramification is no one is redeemed from sin. If Jesus isn't risen from the dead, you can't be saved from your sin. The fifth one, all former believers have perished. All those who have believed in Christ and died in their belief, they're, didn't, they're not going to heaven. They've perished. They're, they're dead in the grave. No, with no hope. And finally, Christians are, are the most wretched, contemptible people on earth. We are the most, of all people, we are to be pitied more than any others because we would believe in something that doesn't exist. <laughs> so that's what Paul's putting out here to those individuals who said, there's no resurrection. So Paul puts it in that perspective. 
So we have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have the hope of our resurrection. And we have now the order of the resurrection. How is all this going to take place? Is there an order to it? Who's going to be go first? Well, I know that the church down the, the street is going to go to heaven first. Do you know why I know? It says the dead in Christ shall rise first. <laughs> Notice I didn't say any church, you know, because they're not here to defend themselves. I'm just, that's a joke. All right, you know, I'm, you know, a little humor in there. Now, if you want to get somebody, say, I hear you're going to heaven first. Oh, yeah, yeah, the dead in Christ, they're going to rise, you know. <laughs> dead. <laughs> Verse 20. But Christ has indeed been risen from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who have entered the state of, you know, their body is dead, but there's going to come a day in which it is resurrected. Now, first fruits were the first part of a harvest. So this goes back to Leviticus 23.10. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I am going to give you and you reap its harvest, Bring to the priest a sheath of the first grain you harvest. So, you know, that's when it talks about tithing and giving. It's of the first. So we talk at this, it's, you know, it's like the first fruits is, this is, I went out to harvest in my field, and here is a, the first grain that I have harvested, and we bring it to the, and they were to bring it to the priest and offer it as a sacrifice unto God. Being thankful for what God has given them even before they have harvested. So, you see, being thankful, bringing the first fruits is saying, I am believing for a bountiful harvest. See, we're going to wait till I have a harvest, then I'll see if I'm thankful. <laughs> eh, it doesn't work that way. So, God wants us to look at our life and be thankful for what we are going to receive. So although Jesus is not the first to be raised from the dead, I thought, wait a minute. Well, he wasn't the first to be raised from the dead. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but Jesus was the first who would never die again. <laughs> so Jesus is the first fruits, and the first fruit, remember, the, the first fruit of a harvest is what is the first grains that is harvested, that's the first fruit. Jesus is the first fruit of all of us who are going to be resurrected. So he, uh, uh, when you speak of the resurrection, all believers will be resurrected, and uh, just as Jesus is the resurrected from the dead, so too shall we be resurrected from the dead. Amen. John 14, 19 says, You will see me because I live, you also will live. Jesus is telling, uh, telling us that you, you will see me because I live, you also, you will live because I live. And then we go on to uh, John 14, 16. I will pray the Father. How do we know Jesus made it to heaven after he ascended there? Well, this one tells us, John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Another comforter, meaning the Holy Spirit, and another comforter means one just like myself. You're not losing anything. When the Holy Spirit comes and is with you, you're not losing anything 
It's as, the same as if I were there. So if we won't listen to the Spirit and the Word, we wouldn't listen to Jesus either. <laughs> we don't want to think about that too long. Uh, verse, uh, verse 21. For since death came through a man, Adam, in the garden, death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So Paul's trying, he's trying to get us and trying to get people to understand that we have an earthly heritage. We know people die. Why? Because our bodies die. Well, we know Jesus, he, he was crucified, he died, but he rose again. So in Christ, we will all be made alive. <laughs> the order of the resurrection is Christ first. The first to be risen from the dead, never to die again, is Jesus Christ. Verse 23. But each in turn, each in turn, Christ, the first fruit. See, we, we talked a little bit about that. The image of the first fruit is followed by the explanation of the unity of Christ with humanity. The unity of Christ with you. You know, we talked, we did in communion. You know, do this in remembrance of me. The, this is the blood and the, the, the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. The unity of Christ with the believer. That's what puts this, makes all of this work. Christ isn't, see, he, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, but he's not up in heaven, you know, I'm up here and you're down there, you know, let's see what happens. No, he is, a, he is the God who is with us, he walks with us, he's there encouraging us, he speaks to us through his word and the spirit. So the first fruits must be a sample of the same kind. A sample of the same kind. Jesus is this resurrection is the same kind of resurrection that we will have. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, he is the resurrection and the life. We will be of that same kind. Verse 23. Then when he comes, the return of Christ, those who belong to him, then the end will come. Now, in this little section of verses here, we have squeezed in these verses all the end times. <laughs> but the book of Revelation is within these couple of verses. And, you know, it just kind of squeezes it all together and says, then Christ will return and the, you know, the tribulation and the end will come. And when, the hands over, when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. So it's like, Boom, we've got the tribulation period and we've got the, you know, the thousand-year millennial reign. We have all that stuff just stuck in these couple of verses. Then verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. You see, there are a lot of other things, sins and great, you know, sins and evil and whatever in our world, but the last enemy is death. The resurrection, the trump of God shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. It is the resurrection, so no more will people die. 
all that are raised up will live forever. There's no dying again. And the effects of sin, the effects of that rebellion uh, against God would be forever ended because he is victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Death is here personified as a tyrant, exercising uh, the power over the human race that people die. Well, death is destroyed, verse 27, for he has put everything under his feet. If you want to give the, you know the story, right? If you want to give the the devil a message, write it on the bottom of your shoe. (laughs) He is under your feet. And it isn't because you're so special, it's because Christ in you is the power and the resurrection and the life. You know, all the demons in hell know who Jesus is. (laughs) They're terrified of him. We're just trying to figure it out. We're trying to get our soul and spirit in, in, in connection and bring harmony and peace, peace to our own hearts and lives where God is at work in us and where we understand the scriptures to give his peace and his love to us. So, verse 28. I'm going to read this from the, another translation. It seems a little easier. Nevertheless, When everything created has been made obedient to God, then shall the Son acknowledge himself, subject to God the Father, who gave the Son power over all things. Thus, in the end, shall God be holy and absolutely God. (laughs) So when all things are subdued, Jesus Christ is the one who is subduing them because it is through Christ he has come to conquer death and to give to us the life that is in the Spirit and the life that God has wanted us to have from the very beginning. God created us to be his friend. God created us to walk with us. As Adam and Eve in the garden come and walked in the cool of the day. Sin is what separated us. And Jesus is the one who has bridge the gap. He is the go-between. He is the bridge between heaven and earth, the heaven in our life. Verse 29. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who have been baptized for the dead? Now, when you read that one, it's like, whoa, the baptism for the dead. You know, that sounds like and there is a, there is a uh, religious group that they go through the genealogy and the person will be baptized for those who are already dead so they can get to heaven. <laughs> well, it doesn't necessarily mean that. It, if you look at it, the term baptize and baptism signifies the, orig- the original meaning is to wash as a washing of pots and cups used among the Jews. So we have baptism, which means immersion, which we have the adult baptism, immersion in water, you know, and, you know to, to, it's the symbol of death to our old way of life, resurrected to a new way of life. But what about baptism for the dead? Baptism for the dead in this, from what I've read and what I've been able to put out of this, is 
that it is the ceremonial, ceremonial washing of the body after someone dies, that they are cleansing them, washing them up, in order for them to be prepared for the resurrection. Now, we know they're going to decay and, and the body's going to go away and all that, but it was a, it was a rite that they did as Christians, a, a ceremonial washing in order to, take, to cleanse them. You know, in hospice, <laughs> uh, a patient dies, the, the nurse or the, the um, staff or someone, they're often, almost always, they will wash the body. They will clean for before, they, before the, the, the undertaker comes. They will wash the body and prepare them to, to be taken. And it's kind of like that type of being, being baptized of the dead is not only in time, you know, it's, this is the only time it's mentioned in Scripture. So to take a doctrine out of one phrase and then with questionable meanings in different directions is, 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 uh, is not what you're supposed to do. <laughs> you, you know, a, a doctrine is built off of many uh, incidents of the same scripture pointing to the same thing. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, triune Godhead, let us make man in our own image. So throughout the scriptures there is the plural so that's why we believe in the triune God. Well, this would be more of a looking, you know, I'm going to build an entire doctrine, learn who all your ancestors are and get baptized so they all go to heaven. <laughs> it would be nice, but it doesn't work that way. Verse 29, Carrie. <laughs> I don't want to preach too long. You, you know, you might miss lunch. How much? It's close. I mean close. I'm close to being done or is it? Oh, I'm close to being done. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure I was close to being done. All right? No, that's all right. What's that? Turn you over. I'm close to being done, yeah? yeah he's fried on one side, you know? No, <laughs> I don't get paid extra for overtime. That's right. I just, I get a flat rate, you know? Yeah. I'm on, um, what is it? I'm losing my time. It's all right. God has all the time of the world. So there is a couple of things I want to talk about. So verse 29. If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? So verse 30. And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? Now this is Paul. And he is, he is writing to the, the Corinthians and saying, if there's no resurrection, why am I putting myself in danger every time I come to visit you guys? <laughs> why am I going through all of this when people are trying to kill me and I'm fighting with animals and beasts in Ephesus? Uh, and why am I doing all this if there's no hope of a resurrection? <laughs> so... Is there, is there merely an idea that if there's no resurrection, as Paul's saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. But there is a resurrection, and I'm doing this for the good of all of you and for the message of Christ. Now, verse 33. Now remember, the Corinthians are having many difficulties. They are listening to the wrong messages from the, the pagans and from the 
those of, of Pharisees and Sadducees, excuse me, about um, there being no, no resurrection. And verse, three, verse 33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. <laughs> you know, I don't need to put that on a wall somewhere. Bad company corrupts good character. And then he says, Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. So he's telling them, you guys have not been paying attention, and it's to your shame that you are hanging around with bad character. So awake, verse 34, awake. This is, a, this is the declarative statement that Paul is saying to them. Awake to righteousness. Awake signifies arise from your confusion and your overindulgence. Awake from your boredom. <laughs> Awake from the stupor of drugs and strong drink. <laughs> Awake from the inability to think clearly. So Paul is telling them, stay away from bad company and wake up and look at what you're doing. Awake, from the, awake to righteousness. That means awake to the things that God wants to do in your life. That's the righteousness of Christ. Awake to the resurrection. Well, we're just going to have to pick up next week with the resurrection of the body. And we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to pick up for the, the rest of it. But I want us to know that the resurrection of Christ, we are, he is raised according to scripture. So the coming of Jesus was not just a fluke. It was not just some guy showing up at a, at a, at a period of time. Everything, the script for his life was foretold through many of the prophets of the Old Testament. His death and resurrection were foretold. So we need to awake to the righteousness of Christ. Because he lives, we shall live also. Our hope in the resurrection <laughs> is that if Christ isn't risen, our faith is in vain. But he is risen, so our faith is real. The order of the resurrection, first fruits. Jesus is the first fruits of kind. We are the rest of the harvest. And so shall we be like, the, so shall we be like Christ, who is risen from the dead. We will be raised from the dead. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the trump of God shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up. We will be changed in the momentary. In the twinkling of an eye means as fast as it takes for the thought process to go from your brain to your eyelid, you're going to be changed. That's how quick. So when Jesus comes, which is, you know, with all the things going on in our world. You know, there was an advertisement on the other day that the guy was saying, uh, I don't know if it's true, so I'm just saying it was an advertisement, that, that the world money system is, is starting to be inaugurated and that he is going to set, he wants to set you up with an account that will not be sucked into the world money system. <laughs> and I was thinking, how does he even know that? Because that's what the scripture says. One government, one world, one thing. That's setting things up for the Antichrist. Jesus is coming back. And his return 
is sooner than we think. So let us be ready. Let us awake. (laughs) Awaken from whatever it is that has caused us to kind of lull away from our relationship with Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the life that you give us. We thank you for the strength that is ours through Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that speaks to us through the scriptures, impresses upon our hearts and minds the truth that we live by. And God, you give us the power and the strength to to focus on what you want us to do. Lord, we pray. We pray for you to be with us now. Lord, calm our hearts and minds. Give us peace of mind and heart. Give us strength to do what is right in your sight. Give us the wisdom to understand and know the difference. Help us, O Lord, to be at peace with you. Be at peace with ourselves. Be at peace with one another. Because, Lord, perfect peace comes from you. So, Lord, we give our life to you. Our sins, we give them to you and you forgive us. And if we are right with you and heaven is our home, what else is there to worry about? So give us guidance and peace and strength. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And the word of the day is, awake! (laughs) Awake! Amen. God bless you. We're going to pick up the resurrection next week.